welcome to Screen Talk in the Words Weekly Podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the Executive Editor and Chief Critic, joined by my partner in crime, Ann Thompson, our Editor-at-Large. And Ann, we survived Oscar weekend and lived to tell the tale. A couple of tales, actually, because you and I both had to get up bright and early on Monday after all this stuff had happened to write our stories about the experience. And what was, I think, kind of interesting was that you and I both had very different kinds of ways into this long, crazy culmination of months of stuff. So let, let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, there's there's so much to unearth about, you know, what exactly happened, why the hell Green Book won. There's been a lot of reporting by yourself and other people about, you know, the various different factors going on here. But let's get into the weekend itself and what actually came to bear over the course of these different parties and stuff. What so people think that we're here? just having fun at these parties. And there was one party where maybe we were just having fun, which is the one that Eugene Hernandez organized on Thursday night at the Sunset Marquee, which was a great, let's just put it this way, a great time was had by by all, because all these people are coming into town for for these events. And, and it was a nice sort of uh, pre pre-weekend uh, bonding experience. Um, but then then we we hit uh, the Friday night parties, which included women in film, where they got all the Oscar contenders who were women up on the stage, hosted by Sandy Powell, the costume designer who was up for two, two, non, two awards, which she did not uh, win. But, um, and then onward uh, to, uh, I went to a UTA party where I got to hang out with the Cohen brothers and other people. And you went to the foreign language party, which in a way dictated the direction your coverage took. Yeah. I mean, so what I'm always looking for is how to find a through line with all of these different events, because I just drop into town after all these months of campaigning and sort of the final march to the finish line. And it feels a lot like being at a film festival without the movies. It's like all these people are around, all these filmmakers and other people who are nominated producers and distributors, and they're going to all these different events and they still don't know exactly what's going to come to to bear on Sunday, but they they have a lot of different ideas, and you see all these different angles of things depending on which parties you go to. You know, sometimes well, it was it- at it was at the UTA party that I learned that there was this. I mean, I knew obviously that there was an anti Netflix bias going through what I considered to be mostly the theatrical distribution community, but it was fascinating to learn that it that that there was a Steven Spielberg aspect to it, that he was spearheading the pro-Green Book, vote for Green Book. If you vote for Green Book, it means that you're voting for cinema and the two-hour experience in movie theaters. And that, I suddenly realized, was the was the through line for me. You went with a foreign language yeah, through line. So, so in my case, it was sort of like, we're, you're trying to assess, like, where are the places I can go where I can find these people who are going to be in a lot of different places and and be talking about certain things. And I did wind up going to this cocktail event that was hosted by the Academy for the Foreign Language Branch. And what they do at these particular events is they present a certificate of uh, a nomination to each of the nominees. I've gone to that party for the past few years. They do it and they do it for the different branches too. But what was really interesting about this was they got, you know, different, uh, Oscar winners or nominees to present them, like Paul Schrader presented to Florian for Never Look Away, Barry Jenkins presented to um, 
uh, Correa for Shoplifters, Ava DuVernay presents to Quaron. And one of the things that I was thinking about as I was there was, you know, a big part of this year uh, with with Roma being what at least we thought was a serious front runner for Best Picture, and and maybe it still was after all was said and done, is that this was a foreign language film, and foreign language films are always considered very marginalized in, in American film culture because subtitles scare people off. And but it's an interesting question. I mean, if you look at a, a movie like Black Panther, it proved what it was and what it was capable of because Marvel Disney was willing to spend the money right. to put it out there all over the world to make, right. give it a budget, to give it a marketing budget. And the same thing is true of Roma. Netflix supported that movie at a level that was beyond any other movie this year, except perhaps for Black Panther and A Star is Born. But uh, we don't know exactly what was spent. $25 million is the figure that was in the New York Times. Some people say 40, but you know, it all depends on how you break down those costs. Well, the, the Netflix that, people said it was the entire marketing budget that was that was reported. Well, in any case, so they give this international global platform to, to Roma takes away the notion that this is even a foreign language film in the first place because in Latin America it's certainly not. In and it's places, on the streaming site. It's on yeah, Netflix. Well, that's, that's the point. And so you had you had a sense that there was something to be said for the nature of foreign language film sort of being less uh, relevant than it once was. And I have heard from people at the Academy that they would really like to see that realization happen across this entire process. So the, the, the way in which, you know, Cold War gets a Best Director nomination and a Cinematography nomination, Border didn't make shortlist, but it got a Makeup and Hairstyle nomination. They would like to see more of this willingness by the Academy to consider a broader swath of international well, films. that's happened over the history of the Academy Awards. There have been foreign language films nominated. They just never had one win. And and there have been, uh, you know, something like Pan's Labyrinth did very well through the categories. But what they did was they opened up the voting this year. Way more people were able to see the films and there weren't so many limitations on them. And they felt, I remember uh, Larry Karaszewski, who's one of the foreign language guys this year uh, running the committee, yeah, said yeah. that he felt really strongly and very good that very good about the fact that that so many movies actually got nominated across the categories and and hopefully that will continue but that's not the issue that's that's really bothering the studios what's bothering the studios is that they were competing with Netflix with deeper pockets more willingness to spend and the the skipping all the windows that would have you know even black panther got out very early in February, so that by the time it was up for Best Picture, it was in it was on Netflix, which is ironic because that's not going to happen anymore, not with Disney Plus. But the idea being that you could have um, Roma skip all the windows and be available to everyone, and and yet the irony there is that if you did see it on your home TV, you didn't see it the way it should be seen. It should be seen in a theater. Yeah, and there's no question that the argument about Roma as a large screen experience that is hurt by being seen on a small screen did not play out in its favor. And that's a whole thing that's it's, it's setting aside all of this foreign language question seems to have been the centerpiece of, of the entire season that you really got into. While I was in foreign language land talking to people about all that stuff, you were really looking at did the Netflix factor hurt Roma and maybe it, it hurt it in one race, best picture. And it hurt it because everybody from all the different studios 
rallied behind Green Book as the vote for Best Picture and and fooled around with their ballots and, and did all the stuff that happens with this preferential balloting thing. So I have no objection with the idea that Green Book is finally, you know, the consensus title. You know, it is exactly what the <laughs> Oscars have been rewarding consistently for years. You know, it's it's the equivalent of driving Miss Jay-Z or King's Speech or 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 whatever. But but the but the thing that bothers me more is the idea that they now want to change the rules so that Netflix is somehow going to be forced to play by the same rule book that the studios have to play by. And, um, and you know, I look at it differently. I, I want to say, you know, the studios have to compete with, with Netflix. They have to figure out how to adapt. That's the future. That's where it's going. But someone like Spielberg is really arguing you've got to give them an exclusive window uh, theatrically. And then there are people really who I spoke to over the weekend, and this is what I was doing at the Spirit Awards on Saturday and at the uh, Governor's Ball and, and all the uh, the Fox party and the you know Netflix party. I was talking to people about this the whole weekend and getting all these different points of view, collecting these different takes on you know, some people are more realistic about what the what the climate is and, and landscape is. And then there are people who are really in denial as though as though that that no, Netflix it's, didn't I mean, even have a theatrical release for Roma just because yeah, they didn't I mean, declare the numbers. I had this conversation with people, too, where it was like, especially even at the governor's ball it would be like you could find one person who would be like, thank God Netflix didn't win. Forget about whether or not Green Book's a good movie. And another person was like, yeah, some people think it would have been the apocalypse. I don't really see it. There was no middle ground. It was either like, yes, this is a destructive force or it's not, which is such a, a strange divide. I mean, all of these people have Netflix subscriptions, but the argument seems to have more to do with, you know, is this sort of a repudiation of the theatrical experience? And I, I mean, on some level, I'm just really disappointed that an industry heavyweight like Spielberg could not parse this with more nuance. Well, he was invested in Green Book. He, he was part, Amblin was inv- an investor from the beginning, very early with participant. And then they, uh, Amblin had a put deal with Universal. Universal picked it up and agreed to release it. And finally, uh, this is the other story that ran today, which was Tom Brueggemann's box office. Uh, you know, how did each of the Oscar movies fare at the box office? And the Green Book scenario is very interesting because they were going to go wide. And then when it did so well in previews and did so well in Toronto, this was around Thanksgiving, they were planning to go wide when it won the audience award. And I was at that screening in Toronto. I saw how well it played in, in, in Toronto. It, it, and they were jubilant afterwards, all of them uh, realizing what an incredible crowd pleaser they, they had. It, it timed out so that the box office was they they platformed it. They went slower. It, it it was reported as a soft opening, but then it kept picking up steam because of word of mouth, which they knew they had. And they ended up um, Mortal Engines ended up doing really badly. They were able to get more theaters, and the whole thing uh, worked out so that they peaked just as the movie was going for Best Picture, and that was all to their advantage. Well, and and of course the the. Uh, gulf between the budget on that awards campaign and Roma couldn't be more dramatic. And it makes you wonder if, you know, had Netflix spent about half that and had a different kind of strategy, would it have just won the same prizes or directors? There's another way of looking. It's very interesting. There's another way of looking at it. Yeah, that money was definitely. Here's the thing. I mean, 
I tracked all of this and I give Lisa Tabak and her team a lot of credit. And she's also, she's also the lightning rod for a lot of criticism and, and accusations. You know, we've talked about this, about they've, the they've various her. mudslinging that went on. Um, yeah. But a lot of that's resentment that she was so successful and that she had so much money. There's several different buckets here. One is that the studios are competing with Netflix for talent. And the one thing they have going for them is that they can offer a real theatrical release. Um, but, but, but the studios, um, if, if Best Picture had been won by Roma, they would have considered that a terrible loss. Um, and they, and they, they see Netflix as having billions and billions and billions of dollars to spend to their relatively small annual budgets. In terms right. of the movies yeah, that they not made, changing. that's not changing anytime soon. Netflix. Is no, they're losing this war. That's the point I made. This is not a war that they're going to ultimately win with Netflix. Netflix is going to win this war along with Apple and Amazon and and everything else. I worry about. Uh, everyone worries about the theaters. Of course, we worry about the theaters. We want the theaters to do well and to survive. But this battle that right now, the way they're waging it, is about trying to put the genie back in the bottle and go yeah, backwards. Yeah, that's the thing I find. So, okay, Ready Player One, right? Spielberg did an amazing job with that, and there's no question that that movie is a theatrical experience, ideally. But more people did see it at home, and there there must be a way to to assess this situation to figure out what the future of the theatrical experience is for movies that benefit from that without knocking the reality that streaming is the kind of default for most people. So eventize the theatrical experience, make movies that work in theaters. They'll go see them. Roma is still freaking playing in New York at the IFC center. People go see this stuff. You don't put out an ad in the New York times proclaiming how long it's been playing in theaters and Manola Dargis on Twitter is like, who's that ad for? And the answer is it's for Spielberg because they're going to go into this Academy meeting in April and they're going to have a hash out of of what the new rules are going to be for next year designed to turn Netflix into a properly behaving conventional studio, which I find hilarious, but that's what what they're going to argue about. I'm so disappointed, honestly, in, and, and in Spielberg in particular. Let me put it to you this way. Spielberg is, is it's a symbolic thing. It's not, it's not a personal thing. I don't know Spielberg particularly. He's so avant-garde in so many ways. It's true. And let me tell you something else. As, as, as a generation of film viewer who actually grew up watching Spielberg movies, for, 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 for a lot of us, irrespective of how our sensibilities evolved, Spielberg movies were sort of the gateway drug to enjoying movies and understanding that they're an art form and a form of entertainment. And you know what? I watched a lot of them on VHS. Like that was how I was introduced to these movies and I got it. So this is not something that just has materialized with Netflix. I think that there's some very interesting um, threads on Twitter about this whole issue. And it's sort of fun to, to read all the different points of view. And there's a popular take that Spielberg is a dinosaur. I do not see him that way at all. He is someone who has embraced new technology, who's always tried to do new things. I think Ready Player One is one of his better movies. You can be a dinosaur and make a movie like Ready Player One because the technology... It's really extraordinary. And he's been someone who's been very generous about bringing up new talent. And and I think a lot of people are sort of surprised um, that he's taking this stance. I think... Uh, knowing him 
a, a bit. I, I think he knows how hard it was to make Lincoln. He knows how hard it was to get that out. Well, you said it almost went to HBO. It did, and so and so. There's a lot of there's a lot of um, recognition. I mean, DreamWorks went down, right? It didn't survive. There's a lot of recognition. He's been fighting this battle for the you know he he knows that he you know, even Spielberg can't make everything that he wants to make and get a theatrical release and do what he wants to do i think he's fighting for that old way to to survive and i think i think it's been a real wake up call for the studios you know from warner brothers uh, toby emmerich who i spoke to um on Friday night and, and to, to, uh, you know, Sean Bailey and, and the people at Disney and, and to, uh, you know, Ron Meyer and the people at Universal and, and all these, all these studios, Jim Giannopoulos at, at Paramount and, and the people at Fox who are now going over to Disney and the fight against Netflix. I think it's a real shocker to them that they, that they can't compete. <laughs> I think it's that simple. Yeah, no, but it, but it, that's it's, it's, it's that is in fact the bottom line here. It's just petty, and it's an unrealistic way to assess this situation. Which it is, isn't petty though, because there are certain issues. For example, Roma ended up uh, dwarfing all of the foreign language uh, competitors. This may have been an anomaly. I mean, there may never be a situation like that again. Those people need to be able to play for one week. If, if they apply some big four-week exclusive, that could really hurt the indies, right? Well, yeah. I mean, and think about the foreign language, the, the docs. I mean, uh, you know, I, w- I mentioned this in my piece. There was this great movie documentary, which I know you saw a while ago. I caught up with the week of the Oscars. I'm embarrassed to say caught up Fathers and Sons. Played Such one- a good movie. It got a one week in God Bless the Museum of Moving Image. $12,000 at the box office. <laughs> and, you know, they, they got a spike on iTunes because it because of the Oscar nomination. So that was worth something. But the reality is that most movies don't have the privilege of fighting for, you know, getting your big theatrical exposure one way or another. And so this, this entire conversation, I think, is very narrow and, and doesn't really address the realities of the market or how we watch things and, and the risk averse nature of the industry as a whole. And that's what's really frustrating. But whatever. The good Spike news was that there. was that a lot of big popular movies meant that there was an uptick in the ratings, and a little bit. We a don't little need bit. an Oscar host, thank you very much. Yeah, and it moved along. It all, you know, they came out with a decent show that was fun to watch. All right. So, what was your favorite moment of the night? I'm shallow. <laughs> I, I mean, that was cool. I guess that was cool. I'm I'm happy to not have to think about that song nearly as much as it was ubiquitous in the last few months it's a sticky song that's that's for sure i was impressed with the camera work i do you know i like being there it was nice that bradley cooper coordinated that you know he he was in charge of that it may and he made it work yeah i mean look that was that was very well stated there's a lot of stuff that was well directed yeah no i thought they did a really good job all together and it, and it moved along, and, and the there was a lot. Of, there were a lot of really funny moments, but a, a lot of really good speeches too. I mean, the win, that's not something that the producers could control. It was at the end of the day, the speeches really delivered right out of the gate. Regina King's speech was awesome. You know, had people in tears. But then, oh, but you were working no. around. Go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say about your no. your cocktail experience too. Yeah, I mean, the thing the thing is, uh, it just kept it just kept going. I mean, the, I, I was just going to say. 
toward later on in the night to see that Olivia Coleman moment. She was that was probably my highlight as far as the speeches are concerned. Biggest upset of the night, right? And it was a big deal. No, when Green Book won original screenplay. That was a turning. I knew it was going to win Best Picture. That, that was, was the good. moment. And it was horrifying to me in a way because <laughs> I couldn't understand. I, I figured this out later. When you look at the precursors and you use them to help you figure out what's going to happen, I was using them to support the Roma narrative. And obviously I was emotionally involved in a way that you're not supposed to be if you're a proper Oscar picker. But but what I and I, I knew what the strengths of Green Book were, but it hadn't won the Writers Guild. And I thought about that later and I realized, remember, eighth grade won the Writers Guild. Mm-hmm. Um, I, they are a much more lefty, politically correct group than the overall academy. That's the answer. That's why. And, and, and so, by the way, in a way, more sophisticated and, and erudite are the BAFTAs than the overall academy. I just Which is why Roma won those things. But don't forget, I mean, that you, not that also you there wasn't this whole Green Book equals a vote for cinema aspect to it. Which is the most ludicrous statement of all time. But also don't forget that we, what we had been talking about with respect to the preferential ballot seems to have been uh, more in the other direction. I mean, what I had been saying was like, well, Roman people and Green Book people are not the same. So if there's like a Green Book contingency, fine. But I see like more of like a Roma maybe being a number two choice for a lot of people who also like Black Panther or something. And maybe Black Panther is, it benefits from all this stuff. But it actually, it seems to have been more of the inverse that there's a lot of Green Book people who rank it somewhere on their list relatively high and, and don't put Roma at all. And perhaps that element also I think a lot of people saw that as an as a real possibility and but the other thing is that a lot of people for their second choice or their third choice you know I think that that it was some went for black lesbians some went for the favorites some went for you know um black panther so it the one that was not like all the others was green book Right. So you were asking me about this. Uh, this Go cocktail. ahead. Yeah, you had fun. You got a lot. You gleaned a lot of intel from hanging. See, I was glued to my seat watching the TV because, confession, I forgot to record the show at home. So I had to watch it. I had to watch the whole show. I you mean, went out to the lobby movie. and hung out. Yeah, I don't, I don't like to to stay put too long because I. So the thing that people don't see on the show is it's like most of the people nominated for Oscars are not famous and they're not really you know they don't have much to do throughout the night. Once they get in there, they're like they sit in the seat and they do the category, and then when they lose, they're just kind of hanging around. So I would see people like the director of Father and Son Sons or Paul Schrader just kind of like mostly on their own, hanging around at the bar, maybe getting a little bored. Maybe getting a little drunk. So Paul Schrader said the same thing to you that he said to me. He said, one thing you could count on, he says, mediocrity will slap you in the face. Yeah, yeah. He said, you can't compete with mediocrity. I mean, there were a lot of, there were a lot, a lot of the people who were saying things like that, you know, that there was just this sense of inevitability throughout the evening for certain kinds of things happening. And so, but, but a lot of the people who were nominated did have really good nights in major categories. I mean, think about Yorgos Lanthimos, like the favorite didn't win a ton, but he was clearly very happy that it won something, given the kind of filmmaker that he is. Spike Lee may have allegedly thrown a tantrum. I think it was just Spike Lee. There's no allegedly about it. Pete Hammond. 
who had he a seat in the thing. orchestra, by the way, but um, like, watched him get up, try to go out to the back. They wouldn't let him out the door. He talked to Jordan Peele. He turned his back on the Green Book uh, winning speech yes, so and sat down like, again. Right? Is in terms of allegedly, it's like the way that it was reported is like Spike Lee does this dramatic thing. Spike was just being Spike. Like, of course he was going to do that. But, but the point is, I think even in spite of all that stuff, he had a he had a great night. I mean, I saw him up at the uh, at the governor's ball and he getting was, his thing engraved. Yeah, he was he was so happy. He was not bitching about Green Book to everybody in sight. He did he wasn't he happy. He did backstage. He shot his wad backstage at the press room. Yeah, he was, but he was still funny. He was about happy. It. He was yeah, happy. He was My favorite to... moment is the one that's on. There's a meme on, on on online somewhere where somebody on the red carpet says, "So how do you feel about that Green Book loss?" And and he goes. Are you British? And the other guy goes, yeah. And he goes, let me put it to you this way. It was not my cup of tea. <laughs> yeah. And then he does like a little dance around. I mean, the thing I've always enjoyed about him, even though he's, he's in, in my interactions with him. I love the guy. Great. I mean, it, he, he is amused as amused by himself as he amuses other people. And you saw that all through a lot of the exposure he got after the Oscar win. And so he would say things and then he'd kind of crack up at his own jokes. And that was amplified by the thrill of actually winning that Oscar. So I thought that was a really important moment, perhaps the greatest moment he of the night. He didn't begrudge Quaron winning Best Director. He knew. He begrudged Green Book because he hated it so much. Yeah, yeah. And understandably so, given the context under which you know, he was sort of up against this movie that was of all white people dealing with racism. That's right. That's a very explicit thing, even if the movie was a little bit better. At the end of the day, do is Green Book really a terrible movie? I mean, beat for beat, it's not. It's, it's more a perfectly a- well tipped. A lot of people said to me that of all the movies that were up, it was the one that actually had, forgive the expression, a, conven- a, a conventional story very- structure that and actually sense- played really well for audiences. And the, and the most sentimental of them as well, I, I would and say. And it was moving for people. Yeah. And they they genuinely it made, felt good. It was a no, feel-good no, movie. The reason why... So so why is Green Book then a bad movie? It has to do more with the kind of the cultural and intellectual processes behind the scenes, the way in which this story is formulated. And I think that is a very subtle point that perhaps is harder to discuss in Oscar terms, but one that may make it not stand the test of time as well as some of the other nominees. Well, there's a picture, which we have on our, our uh, site right now, with Peter Farrelly talking, a bunch of white guys behind him. Yep. And then you have Mahershal Ali over on the side looking very grim, holding his Oscar. <laughs> and then there's Olivia Coleman with her hand to her forehead. And she looks kind of weird because fairly saying weird things about how great Nick Vallelonga was and all these white guys that made this movie. And and, and they put her Octavia into the executive producer role for a reason to have a, someone to drag up on that stage. Yeah, it's super awkward. And Valalonga in particular, who's apparently directing a movie called That's Amore now. <laughs> we'll like, see if it ever gets made. Kind of, he's like more of a Guido stereotype than what Vigo's playing in that movie. And he, I overheard him at the Governor's Ball talking to somebody and saying, wow, they really asked me some tough questions in that press conference. And it's like, well, 
Yeah, of course they did, because you expressed yourself in a terrible way. That statement, I'm sorry, did not do enough to acknowledge that. And the, the overarching criticisms of this movie have not been fundamentally dealt with. A lot of it just seems so frustrating because it feels like culturally we still have a long way to go. But at the same time, a lot of people won for great movies at the Oscars and there, it was a very diverse crop and perhaps the show as a whole really does give us a sense of what this cross section. Look, we, we really have a like. ways to go. Um, I mean, one point that has been made is that there was a, a gay subtext to uh, the, the green book story that, that was unusual for a best picture winner actually. And, and so that's true. And there's also um, a whole question of of how um, people internalize those criticisms and make them uh, make themselves aware of how to address them in the future. Um, but that movie that movie isn't a, a, a total loss. It, it it's it's just that uh, it's it's frustrating how many people don't see the value of those criticisms. And it's frustrating that so many Academy people dug in their heels in a way to say, we don't care about that. We, we, we don't want to be politically correct. We like this movie, no matter what you say. And that's yeah. why they voted for it. Well, eventually those people will die off. Oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. So next week uh, we will, forget about all this stuff. I'm going to go to the South by Southwest Film Festival, looking forward to seeing all kinds of stuff there. The opening night film, Us, from Jordan Peele, among many others. So we'll have a whole bunch of stuff to discuss. We can look ahead to Cannes and who knows what else, but we get to take a little breather. And you're going to take a vacation pretty soon, right? Uh, yeah. Um, first, um, I have a couple of weeks uh, to clean up, uh, you know, pay my bills and go to the doctor and put some food in my larder, but, um, at the, at the, uh, at the end of the month, I'm heading off to, uh, Ireland and then I'll be back for CinemaCon. As far off the grid as you can possibly get. I am going to disconnect for once. Well, no film festival, no, no, no movie stuff. Although they still have Netflix in Ireland. So. <laughs> All right, and enjoy your weekend. Rest up. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.